0: It's great to see you today, and uh, wonderful worship today, church. Always good to be in God's house with you, and looking out there, uh, things are looking better. I'm not saying you necessarily are looking better, but there's more of you here. So we're grateful for that, and uh, we're just uh, thankful that you are here to worship with us today. And I know you brought your Bible. Open it to Matthew chapter 14. And I appreciate so much the prayer that's offered up for our nation, Uh, Brother Alan, this morning, I know you did as well, and uh, pray indeed that uh, God would hear our prayers and uh, we could celebrate together the unity that we enjoy as believers and certainly that we would be salt and light to our nation. You know, this passage is very familiar. It's probably one of the most notable, memorable uh, passages in all the Bible. For you know uh, the story in Matthew 14 where Jesus comes to His disciples who are caught in a storm. He's walking on the water. Peter gets out of the boat and he too, upon the invitation of Jesus, begins to walk on the water. But soon he's distracted. He takes his eyes off Jesus, begins to look at the wind and the waves that were around him, and he went under. You know, I believe if the disciples were telling this story or preaching a sermon from this text, it surely would be lessons learned in a storm. But they're not preaching it today, but I am borrowing on that idea as I've entitled this message, Lessons Learned in a Crisis. Because I believe we'll see in this text some timeless truths that emerge that they learned that day and we can learn this day because God's word is timeless. It speaks to our heart. In all of our situations. Lessons learned in a crisis. I think you'd agree with me. We have been in somewhat of a crisis. What a year 2020 has been. And there seems to be no end to uh, all that we've been dealing with. And uh, here's what I know. While we talk about a crisis, and indeed that's bad news, but the good news is this. Jesus often uses and does His greatest work in difficult days. Charles Spurgeon would say, our troubles have always brought us blessings, and they always will. They're the dark chariots of God's bright grace. And so here we find one of the 33 miracles that Jesus did recorded in the Gospels. We find Him doing everything from changing water to wine in Canaan to raising Lazarus from the dead in Bethany. You ever wonder why Jesus was doing these miracles? Well, one, He did them out of compassion— He cared about people in their need. He had a a sympathetic heart and he healed them. He would touch one at the pool of Bethesda. He would make a blind man named Bartimaeus see. He would take a man named Legion, demon possessed, and he would heal them all because he had compassion on them. But secondly, I would suggest he would do the miraculous as well because of his credentials. He wanted to validate that he indeed was God, that he was the Messiah who had come. And today we find him in our text walking on the water. And uh, after Peter goes down, he saves him, he gets in the boat. And what did the disciples declare? Surely you are the son of God. And then finally, we see not only because of his compassion credentials, but because of his very cause. He would come to demonstrate to those he saw his mighty work that salvation was available in him in him alone. For neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So the question becomes, if he's doing the miraculous for this purpose and certainly for that cause, was it effective? Did it accomplish what he was uh, uh, seeking to do through the miracles? And the answer is yes and no. The Jews were looking for a sign, the Bible says. They witnessed many of these miracles, yet they would not accept Him as the Messiah. For He came into His own, His own received Him not. But now to as many as received Him, to them He would give the privilege to become the children of God. So here in Matthew 14, here's what's going on. Jesus just fed the 5,000, but even then as they returned to Him, Jesus said, you're not back because you saw the miracle, you're back because you simply got fed. Here in Matthew 14, he does this incredible miracle. He teaches his disciple that he had come to earth to teach and to help and to save those who would simply come to him. So as we read, beginning in verse 22, our text today, I'm going to walk through this rather quickly, but I'm going to find some timeless truths. I want you to take these home with you today. Listen to me. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get out of the boat and go before him to the other side. And while he sent the multitudes away, he went then uh, up on the mountain to himself to pray. Now, when evening had come, he was there alone. But the boat was down the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled and said, Is it a ghost? And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be a good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him said, Lord, if that's you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, he began to seek and he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased, and those who were in the boat came and they worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. Father, I pray for a feeling of your spirit today. I pray that we could find these timeless truths and we could take them home to apply in our life, help us to depend upon you. God, thank you for the grace that's been poured out at Calvary. And now I pray you'd fill me with your spirit so I could speak things that are right, true, and accurate that would be timeless in nature and applicable in all of our lives, I pray in the precious name of our Savior. Amen. Four things in this text I want you to see with me. Timeless truths. True 2,000 years ago, true this morning. The first thing is this, God's plan may surprise you here we find Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. We found him there a lot. Matter of fact, two-thirds of the gospel are recorded in and around that freshwater lake that we know as the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had his ministry headquarters there on Capernaum at the water's edge, and we call this, and we see it actually by by three names in, in the Bible, Sea of Galilee, Sea of Tiberias, and Lake Gennesaret. It's all the same. And so we find Jesus here giving instructions in verse 22 because He made His disciples, it said, get in the boat and go to the other side. Now, we don't know if they had reluctance or not, but Jesus was insistent. It says He made them go because definitely this was His plan. Did Jesus know the storm was imminent? Did He get shocked by the turbulence of the storm that overwhelmed these 12 I'm confident he knew full well what was about to transpire. And here's my point. God's plan for your life and my life may surprise us. Just because God is leading in our life, it doesn't mean that we're going to be exempt from the next crisis or the next storm in our life. Matter of fact, in Matthew 8, Jesus is in the boat on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples when a storm comes to them. So some might argue that crises or storms happen in our life when we get out of the will of God. And sometimes I will tell you that may very well be true. But here they're following Jesus and the instructions that he had given. He makes them get in the boat because he had a lesson for them to learn. He was going to teach them something they would never forget. And he told them, head to the other side. And we see secondly, Not only his instructions, but look with me at the text as well. We see his intercession in verse 23. He retreated to a solitary place to pray. We find that not just on this occasion, but Jesus doing that often, going by himself to a place so he could pray. And certainly we have in this text, Jesus, as we always do, an example for our faith and practice And here by his behavior, he is modeling for us that you and I, too, need to be men and women of prayer. In the gospel, we find him praying for children. We find him praying for the multiplication of food. We see him praying for his disciples. We find him praying before he chooses his disciples. We see him praying for himself, and we see him in John 17 praying for you and me as believers who would come after him he was a man of prayer. And do you realize today he's sitting at the right hand of God ever to intercede for you and me. So we see his instructions, we see his intercession, but then we see what I'm calling the inevitable in verse 24, the storms came. And this storm, it seems, which was not all that uncommon on the Sea of Galilee, they come up in a moment. It seems to appear out of nowhere. Without warning, the disciples are forced to deal with it. And I thought about that, and I thought, isn't that what happens honestly in our life oftentimes? We're just going about our business, and then suddenly, out of the blue it seems, we're dealing with a crisis. That only not has been, maybe not has been true in our life in past tense. It's present in our it's true in, our, in the present tense of our life. All of a sudden, I mean, we were, ha- we were just overrun with this coronavirus, shutting down businesses, filling up hospitals, closing schools, canceling graduations and weddings and celebrations, blowing up all of our plans. And I'm telling you, it wasn't just a storm. This baby was a tsunami, wasn't it? And then to follow that up, the killing of an unarmed African-American by the name of George Floyd that triggered a national uprising against racial injustice and police brutality, and we've looked around, and it seems we thought we had a lot of uh, crisis situations, and we've jumped out of the frying pan into the fire. And we wonder, surely, God, what are you doing? What does all of this mean? It's just been so much. (laughs) I had to Snicker, I, as a I, I pop-up on my phone last night from ABC News, it says if we didn't have enough uh, issues in our day, snake bites are uh, uh, up tremendously over the past summer. I thought that's the least thing I've got to worry about is getting bit by a snake. You got to get close to one before you're going to get bit by one, I guess. But I mean, uh, th- just keep piling on, amen. And we wonder if things out of control. Because really, from a human perspective, it may seem that they are. But you know what Jesus said in this world, you're going to have trouble. In this world, you're going to have tribulations, and then He says, "But take heart, I have overcome the world." You know the Bible says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust, and just because you and I are people of faith, it doesn't exempt exempt us from our problems, trials, and heartaches. And I've learned this in our problems that God does His great work in our life because you know why? Because it reveals who we really are. It pulls back the drape on our lives. Sometimes through these crises, God uses them to correct us. He will use them to bring us back to Himself. Maybe we've wandered away from where we need to be spiritually, and God uses these trials that we're facing not to punish us, but to awake us to see really what matters in our life. Man, if you need an example of getting corrected, I think uh, Jonah in the Old Testament, the prophet of God, God calls him to go to uh, Nineveh and preach revival there to those Assyrians, but he goes down to the the port at Joppa, and goes to Tarshish the other direction. What did God do? He sent him a storm, didn't he? He gets thrown over the ship, swallowed by a great fish. There he was for three days, and while he was there, he began to repent and return to God. And God was sending him back to that Assyrian city, and he had preached revival there, and people in a wholesale way believed on him. But God used that storm, that situation, to correct Jonah. Sometimes we face a crisis in our life, and not unlike the disciples here, maybe not to correct us, but listen to me today, it's to grow us in our faith. These men learned some lessons that would strengthen their faith, that would teach them how they could and should depend on Jesus to experience His power, His sovereignty, His care for them, and they obeyed Him And He used this event to grow them deeper and stronger in their faith. Listen, our trials are often God's permissive will, used in our life to shape us, to make us, to remold us, to correct us, that we could glean more about His grace, mercy, and faithfulness, to know Him better. So first know this, God's plan may surprise you. Here's what they learned secondly, God's presence will surround you. Jesus arrives on the scene, the disciples in a real predicament. The text says they're out in the middle of the sea. I've been on the Sea of Galilee many times, Mary and I on a boat. Storms come quickly sometimes, and we've experienced that. You get out in the middle of the sea, you're about three or four, five miles from the shore, perhaps, and that's where they were. The storm came, the winds were contrary, it says. And it was the fourth watch of the night, meaning it was the darkest time of the night. All of these things collectively made things even worse. And in the middle of that, Jesus shows up. Here's what I know about Jesus. He's always on time. In perfect time, He comes to them. Here's the deal. He doesn't get there maybe as soon as we prefer. Don't you think they would have liked to have seen him long before he got there, before the storm was so bad? But we have to remember God's delays are not God's denials. And if you're ever wondering, will God come through for me? I'm here to tell you, yes, he will. He has come through for you. He's a faithful God, and his presence is with us. He surrounds us with his presence. Listen to the—yeah, let's give the Lord a hand there. Thank you. Hear the promise from the Word of God from Isaiah chapter— 43, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you go through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, they will not burn you. I think about what it says in Psalms 23, as the greatest king of Israel would write, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I'm telling you today, the greatest news that I can give to anyone beset by problems and overwhelmed with adversity is this, man or woman of God, God's with you. He's promised he'll never leave you or forsake you. You know, we used to sing a little chorus, and I'm sure you did over here as well. In the presence of Jehovah, God Almighty, Prince of Peace, troubles vanish, hearts are mended in the presence of the King. We see Jesus walking on the water. They think he's a ghost, an aberration. But while at first their fear is multiplied, his voice brings them assurance. God's plan may surprise you. God's presence will surround you. Thirdly, they learn this lesson. God's purpose will indeed stretch you. Because verse 27, Jesus comes to calm the fear of these troubled and anxious hearts. And he says to them, be of good cheer. Things are about to get better. Can I tell you when Jesus shows up, things are about to get better, so don't be afraid. Can I suggest that nothing will calm an anxious heart like the presence of Jesus in our life? And here we see this capricious, compulsive, assertive leader by the name of Peter boldly saying, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus gives him a one-word invitation in verse 29. He says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat in response. You know, that one word invitation is used by Jesus woven throughout this gospel. All the way back in Matthew 4, he began to call his disciples, Simon, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. You remember what he said? The same thing. Come, follow me. In Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden in me, you'll find rest for your soul. My yoke will be easy, my burden will be light. Matthew 25, he says, come, you blessed of my father, inherit a kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And so Peter, in a leap of faith, gets out of the boat, Follow that command. His faith overcomes his fear. And just like Jesus, he's walking on the water. And here's what I'm telling you today. When God calls us to follow him, we'll always find our purpose in him. But without exception, hear me today, it always requires faith. For faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so there will always be cynics and critics if you and I decide we're going to be people who walk by faith. But I'm just saying, don't let doubters keep us from obedience. Don't let that that negative word keep us from getting out of the boat and we see Peter's inclination and most of us can identify because the faith that gets him out of the boat all of a sudden turns to fear because he takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to focus on the storm that's going on all around him and he sees the wind or feels the wind and he sees the effects of the the waves around him so this is a pretty easy principle but I think it's worth bearing because it's right out of our text. Anytime we take our eyes off Jesus and we begin to focus on our problems, guess what? Just like Peter, we're probably going down. Because fear in our life will always be crippling. Listen, the purpose that God has for us is to grow in dependence upon Him. To quit living our lives in fear, quit living our lives overcome by anxiety, and to say with the psalmist, God, you're my refuge and my strength. You're my ever-present help in time of need, and I will not be afraid. Now, here with Peter, because of his neglect to continue walking with his eyes on Jesus, he begins to sink. And we see his one-word, the the one-word invitation here taken on by Peter. But once he began to sink, overcome by doubts and fears, we learn what our response should be when we begin to sink. And this is the fourth truth. Not only God's plan that may surprise us and his presence will surround us. His purpose will always by faith stretch us. But finally, God's protection will shelter us. We see Peter that's sinking suddenly begins to pray the shortest prayer recording in all the Bible. You know what he prayed? Lord, save me. It was a desperate plea. Peter's faith had been enough to get him out of the boat, but when he took his eyes off Jesus, it quickly happened. He needed him, and desperation, he called out, save me. Can I tell you, that prayer is always answered by anyone and everyone who calls out to the Lord, Lord, save me. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, it says in Romans chapter 10, shall be saved. And here Peter said, save me. He wasn't talking about his soul, perhaps, but his body. And the Lord would save him. Why wouldn't a person in desperation call out for Jesus? You know? I mean, wouldn't everybody? I mean, getting that crisis, why wouldn't somebody? Why wouldn't everybody call out to Jesus? Let me suggest a couple of reasons. One, I think it's oftentimes pride. People would rather drown than humble themselves before God. I believe it. Sometimes it's not pride, it's pretentiousness. People are too impressed with themselves. They think they've got this. They think they have it all together. They think they're too intellectual, too knowledgeable to call out to an unseen God. And with Peter, Jesus reaches out and saves him and then rebukes him simply by saying, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? You know, when I read that, I thought about what James would write in chapter 1. He who doubts is like a wave of the sea tossed to and fro. Don't let that man think he has anything, for he's unstable in all of his ways. So once again, Jesus is calling Peter to be a man of faith, and he sees his divine power. And this proof of Jesus' power that he's the Savior, and Peter gets out of the boat, the test is over, and it, se- it served its purpose. And they all collectively did something, recognizing who Jesus was, and they simply worshiped him. Do you realize that's where Jesus wants to take each of us this morning? to a stronger and greater place in our faith, that we would confess and believe in him, and he indeed would come to us. And I'm simply saying, if you are weary in the storms and the crises that you've been dealing with, maybe you have developed this phobia, this fear in your life, you seem overwhelmed and don't know what to do, I'm simply telling you once again, that if you will simply call out to him, you'll discover Jesus is on the way and he'll be your ever-present help in your need. Would you bow your heads with me today? I pray for you, for what your unique situation is that you've been dealing with. I know life has some, uh, has some difficulties for all of us. You preach to broken hearts, you preach to about everyone who comes because life is hard. And I'm preaching this text because God led me to this text perhaps for you today to be reminded that God has a unique purpose in the difficulties that we go through. Maybe you're one of those who needs to be corrected. Maybe you've wandered off far from where you need to be spiritually and things have happened to seem to fall apart in your life, but God in His grace is sending you those things not to punish you but to bring you back to where you need to be. You may be here today and overwhelmed by the adversities you face. Maybe job situation, maybe a marriage that's going south, don't know exactly what to do, listen, I know this, it's never too late for a new beginning in your life. Come to Jesus. He'll take your heartache, he'll take your brokenness, and he'll make all things new. It's the hope of the gospel. Old things passed away, all becomes new in him you're here and you've never given your heart to Christ why don't you get saved today and say with Peter Lord save me forgive my sins cleanse my heart of all unrighteousness get me out of the ditch of despair and put me on that straight and narrow path that leads to life that only a few find God I want to go for you here I am take these pieces make all things new Father this is your invitation our privilege to preach your word today may you be honored in every life that's here may we be able to understand that these stories in the Bible are divinely given it's the breath of God and so we can take these timeless truths and we can claim them and live them out and be better for it be edified so I pray to that end today I pray that you would indeed show yourself strong and sufficient for all who are here today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.